0: No one is sitting on their deathbed at the end of their life saying, oh man, I wish I had met more deadlines at work, or I really wish I had, um, you know, filed more papers, or I really wish I had sent more emails. You know, most people don't know this about me, but before I was a minister, I was a classroom teacher, and um, I really enjoyed teaching in a classroom and my students, but um, this Weird thing happened. I started going cross eyed. Yeah, it was just bizarre. So I had to leave teaching because I just, I was having a hard time controlling my pupils. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 111. Um, We're talking about death again. We have, uh, we've talked about this topic before, episode 55, this exact same topic, but it's been a long time and uh it's been on my mind a bit but before we get into that a reminder to please rate and review this podcast on apple podcasts wherever you're listening to it helps other people find it and if this episode is of benefit to you it might be a benefit to someone else so I, I would love and encourage for you to share it on social media make sure you tag us at manna food for thought on instagram or at manna f4t on twitter and that's a great way to share this podcast with others. You can find all of the Mana content on our website, thought all spelled out.com. And you can become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month when you click on the Patreon tab. So we'd love for you to do that. Without further ado, joy, junk, and Jesus. Uh, my joy <clears throat> is that yesterday, my wife and I auditioned for a game show. And it was actually my second audition. I did a group audition with Tony. Uh, I, th- I may have mentioned this on the podcast Uh my former co-host Jenna's husband um, to go on a game show and um, yeah it was really fun and I didn't go through as a partner with him but they liked me and so interviewed uh, my wife and I to be on it as well so um, I can't talk about what it is or what the process was like but it was just really awesome so yeah I'm really excited that we got to do that it was just really cool to do something new and to you know have that kind of energy and fun together so um, yeah Fingers crossed, say some prayers that we get on. Um, Another joy was that (laughs) last night we were trying to teach Levi how to wink, my almost two-year-old son. And he was just, like, concentrating and shaking his face so hard and squinting. And then he would just, like... And then he would release, and his eyes would just—both of his eyes would open. It was just really cute. So, I wish I had a video to show you on an audio recording, but that technology does not exist yet. So, my junk is that yesterday, Monday, uh, it's currently Mayhem Week at the Orange Theory, Orange Theory gyms everywhere, which we go to one of those, and um, so it's just a brutal week of workouts. And yesterday, um, unbeknownst to me, I did not know that this was the theme. Yesterday, I didn't look. It was Marathon Monday. And so I usually run like maybe two-ish miles, you know, on the treadmill, maybe on a really good day, two and a half. I ran three and a half miles yesterday. I did a 5K by accident yesterday. And so I am sore and tired and the fastest and furthest I've ever run in my entire life, which was really cool, uh, totally by accident. So I guess if you want to run a 5K, just uh, do it by accident. Like just have someone sign you up on a random day and tell you when it is. No training whatsoever. No, don't do that. But um, yeah, so that's been, uh, it was it was great. I feel very accomplished, but my body feels like junk. And then probably in a good way because I'm stronger, getting stronger, but I'm sore. And then Jesus moment was this past weekend. Um, I had spiritual direction, love my spiritual director. He's my son's godfather as well. And a uh, local priest who's the same age as I am. And so uh, it's, we just get along really well and super grateful for him and just that time because I really just needed, needed that. So I do it once every two months or so. And so uh, once it's getting close, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I really need this. So it was great to do that. Um, now I get to go over to his house, which is right by the beach. And it's just, yeah, it's really beautiful. So anyway, that's my joy, junk, in Jesus. Let me know what yours are. I'd love to hear. Um, this week, I want to talk about this uh, phrase you've probably heard thrown around in uh, Christian Catholic circles before. And that is the phrase memento mori. It's a Latin phrase that translates to remember that you die or remember that you have to die. And that seems very morbid, right? You know, I'm not trying to bring you down or talk about death, especially after all of the, you know, I mean, it seems like every week there's a new disease going around, isn't there? You know, monkeypox and all of this stuff, this mysterious childhood hepatitis, ticks that cause meat allergies or brain death, whatever. I see all this stuff all the time. So it just seems like, shouldn't we talk about something lighter and happier? But I think this is a really important topic because it should bring us a sense of lightness and happiness when we think about it in The right way when we think about it in the way it's intended to provoke us to think Uh, remember that you have to die memento mori is not a phrase to depress you but it's a phrase to kind of help reorient you to allow yourself to know like this is where I belong this is what matters this is how I'm going to encounter the the Lord Uh, that phrase reorient comes from, you know, back to the orient, the east, to reposition yourself facing east, the direction of the resurrection, the rising sun. So it's in a sense to reorient yourself means to realign yourself with the resurrected son, Jesus Christ. And so remembering that we have to die puts things into perspective and it helps certain things matter more and certain things kind of go into the background and allows us to be free of the anxiety and the stress of them. This is a you know part of the beautiful tradition of Dia de Muertos or Dia de los Muertos. If, if you are um, you know Hispanic and you uh, celebrate that tradition, my family does. My wife and I are both half Hispanic, um, and we build an ofrenda and we have you know images and we remember those uh, people in our lives who've died, saints, things like that. And we uh, our kids love participating in that, and it's a good uh, like just a good reflection, a good source of prayer and conversation to remember, like we're still in relationship with those who've gone before us, but our life does have an expiration date. And last time I checked, um, among human beings, there is a 100% mortality rate, um, except for Jesus, you know, so that is something that we have to be aware of. Uh, and so how does this idea benefit us? Where do we see this in scripture and how do we like, how do we do this? How do we think about this in a way that's constructive in our walk of discipleship and trying to follow the Lord, and so um, this idea "memento mori" it actually predates Christianity. It comes from you know more ancient philosophers of classical antiquity, people like Plato. Um, there's a lot of meditations on death in the writings of Seneca, the Stoic philosopher. Um, a lot of just you know thinking about that and being aware of it to have a healthy mindset and prioritize the right things. Um, and it's, it's even older than that in Judaism. You know, we have some, some things in the Old Testament, uh, like in Psalm 90. Uh, it says, teach us to count our days aright, that we may gain wisdom of heart. Teach us to count our days aright. So basically, teach us to know that our days are numbered, so that we may have wisdom. To recognize, like, what matters more, what matters less, how do we spend our time, what do we say no to, what do we say yes to. Uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, there's this uh, piece of advice in there that says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting for that is the end of every mortal the house of mourning and the living should take it to heart so recognizing like it's better for us to reflect on the fact that we're going to die versus reflecting on all of the good pleasures and experiences because those things are fleeting they're going to end and we're just going to want more of those but when the real meaningful thing ends our actual life are we going to realize too late that we didn't put certain things in order, or we didn't reconcile, we didn't forgive, we didn't spend the time that we were given uh, and treat it as precious as it was? We didn't spend it in the way that we should have. Isaiah chapter forty, um, the prophet Isaiah, he's kind of interacting with God, and and this voice says to him, "Proclaim!" And so he answers, "What shall I proclaim?" And the voice says, all flesh is grass, and all their loyalty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower wilts, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. And so he replies, yes, the people is grass, the grass withers, the flower wilts, but the word of our God stands forever. It's this understanding that like God is forever, God is eternal, but we are temporary. And if we want to experience that eternal life, then we have to put things in proper perspective and align ourselves to the Lord. But our time here is still limited. And so I think. I always encourage people to have a deathbed mentality, you know, to imagine whenever you're making a decision, imagine as if you're on your deathbed and you're being asked to make this decision, like, does that decision really matter? you know like not that you don't make a decision or you don't adhere to your responsibilities but like if it's causing you a lot of stress or anxiety or if it's if it's like between spending my time with this person or experience or spending my time doing this like what matters more how can i arrange my life and my schedule to make sure i'm using my time effectively so i have more time for the things that matter so that if i'm looking at my life from a deathbed mentality no one is sitting on their deathbed at the end of their life saying, Oh man, I wish I had met more deadlines at work. Or, I really wish I had, um, you know, filed more papers or I really wish i had sent more emails. Like, no, they're wishing for more time in meaningful relationships with family and friends, more time doing things that are meaningful, leaving behind a legacy, making a difference in the world, really doing the things that matter. And so for me, When I'm having a deathbed mentality, it really helps me in like kind of the little decisions every day, you know, like in in my health, you know, like, do I want to do I want to make the decision to, you know, keep eating like, you know, treating my body like junk or not going to the gym? Uh, Do I want to make those decisions? Um, And if I'm on my deathbed, you know, would I wish I had done things differently? You know would I wish I had? If I could go back, would I say, oh, man, I wish I'd spent more time in the gym getting stronger. I wish I had eaten better so I had just a little more time so that I can be with, you know, be healthier and not be as debilitated or not be as, um, you know, dealing with different, you know, whatever things might be preventing me from, you know, living life the best possible way I could. Um, And I think the best thing this helps with is sin, you know, to really ask ourselves at the end of every day or at the end of every kind of interaction with somebody else if I were to die right now, um, would there be any sin on my soul? Like, would I be ready? I think at the end of every uh, date, the end of every interaction with your significant other, especially if you're not married, you know, and you're trying to be chaste, you know, not just to be chaste because it's the right Christian thing to do and you don't want to embarrass yourself or have to say to anyone, oh, I messed up. But to really recognize, like, no, at the end of every interaction I have with my significant other, I have to imagine as though what if something happened to her or I and I have to hand her over to Jesus? Like, did I protect her? Did I protect him? Did I ensure that I'm encouraging them to live a life that they're going to be proud of on their deathbed, that I'm honoring them and their dignity, preventing them from sin so that when they're on their deathbed, there's one less thing that they're going to be worried about, one less thing that they're going to be concerned might come up at their judgment or something like that, you know? And so when it comes to sin, it's really, it gives you the, the perspective to ask, like, is this really worth it? Like, is this small single choice to have one moment of pleasure, is it worth eternity in heaven or hell? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And the, it's such a, like, the scale is so tipped in the direction of heaven. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, nothing, nothing is big enough to warrant making a decision that would be worthy of hell. And yet every decision where you could turn toward heaven and spare yourself of that is so worth it. It just puts those things into perspective for me. It helps put into perspective like what I'm investing my time and my energy in. You know, when when I get kind of very routine oriented, I really like routine. It really anchors me and like helps me kind of, you know, be able to predict how the day's going to go and have a sense of stability and security. And that's good, but... Sometimes I feel like, you know, has my life even been different for the past three months? Like, have I done anything meaningful? And I I start thinking about, like, what are those things I used to be passionate about or those hobbies that I don't pursue anymore, those things that I would really like to get back into, you know, playing the piano, gardening, cooking, you know, doing magic tricks, you know, whatever it is, just things that I'm interested in, Um, you know, or even long-term things like, you know, education, education changing your job, like doing something you're passionate about, a community service involvement or project, like whatever it is, getting involved in an organization or joining a club, whatever, you know, are you putting those things off because you're too busy? Because at the end of your life, you're not going to wish that you had made it to more meetings. Uh, meetings. You're not going to wish you had taken more work calls or that you had worked late more days. You're going to wish that you had done all of those things that you put off till tomorrow. And our relationships, you know, especially our, you know, our family, but like our close friends, are we investing time in there? And what if every, every interaction, every moment we had with them, what if that was the last one? What if that was our last moment, our last conversation? If you imagine right now, as you're listening to this, that like, this is it, this is your final moment. Like something just happened. Your life is over. You're about to meet Jesus in judgment. Like what are all, who are the people running through your heads? What are the conversations that needed to be, be had, but you didn't have a chance What are the things that are left unsaid, the things that are left undone, meaningful things, not just like, oh, did I turn my oven off, you know, but like meaningful things, especially that time we have with our family. It's so precious. Like if your parents are still living, you know, um, when you graduate from high school, 95% of your in-person parent time on average is gone. By the time you graduate from high school, you have used up on average 95% of your in-person time with your parents. Like, are you really investing in that? And grandparents is even less, obviously. You know, siblings, you know, friends. As life goes on, you know, you start your own family. Those are the people you're close to, but it doesn't mean that those other relationships don't have meaning. Are we investing time in the things that matter? And so I think that that helps me, having that deathbed mentality. It helps me think about my decisions, how I'm spending my time, and like, what really matters. Is this going to matter to me at in the end? And the other thing it really helps with is thinking about what am I going to leave behind? You know, one of the things that Jesus uh, speaks about the most in Scripture, um, if I were to ask you that, I wonder what you would say. What do you think is the thing that Jesus speaks about the most in Scripture? High up on the list is, um, you know, hell, which is surprising for some people, suffering, persecution. But the highest things on the list are hypocrisy and unforgiveness. And hypocrisy, yeah, we don't want to live a fake life. You know, we want to live authentically. You know, we don't want the the day of our funeral, all these groups of people who didn't, who intersected with us but never met each other to start, you know, talking and realizing we lied to all of them. But at the same time, um, do we have a a mentality that we could die at any moment and we're going to need, you know, to be forgiven? We're going to need to be forgiven. And we're going to need to forgive those who have done us wrong. So, as I said, one of the things that Jesus preaches about the most is unforgiveness. And so maybe it's time for you and I to assess, like, where in our life do I need to forgive? Where in my life do I need to ask for forgiveness? Because it might be too late otherwise. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, we have the Our Father. And one of the lines of the Our Father is, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That there's this kind of relationship between the forgiveness we receive and the forgiveness we offer. In fact, it says a few verses later in uh, verses 14 and 15, If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. Now, later in Matthew 18, when Peter, he approaches Jesus, he asks him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? But Jesus answers, he says to him, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times, 77 times. Now, does Jesus mean like you have to actually be counting, you know, like, okay, uh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, you know, like, no, or I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. No, but 77 is this like seven, um, two sevens or like seven times I guess that's seven times 11, not seven times seven. But it's like this fullness of forgiveness because seven is a very sacred number in the Jewish alphabet, the Jewish uh, numerical system. And so it's kind of like a, you know, the, the holiest of holy amounts, like until it's like completely removed. There was this kind of, in rabbinical thought, there was this belief that if um, <clears throat> someone, if you did something to hurt someone, you could go ask their forgiveness and they might not give it to you. And you could go back and ask again, they might not give it to you. But if you go back a third time, And they still don't give you forgiveness. They still don't forgive you. You are released from your responsibility because at that point, the other person is now prolonging it and making it into a greater suffering for for both of you and prolonging the suffering of what you caused. And so they now are participating in something that now needs forgiveness. And so we have a responsibility here. You know, the same thing appears in uh, the other Gospels. In Mark uh, chapter 11, when you stand to pray, forgive anyone against whom you have a grievance so that your heavenly Father may in turn forgive you your transgressions. How we forgive is going to directly impact the forgiveness we're going to be able to receive when we die. In Luke chapter 6, stop judging and you will not be judged. Stop condemning and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. This is why Jesus speaks so frequently about unforgiveness because it directly impacts how we can receive the forgiveness of God. It directly impacts the judgment that we're going to experience at the end of our life. It directly impacts whether or not we're going to be reconciled to God if we reconcile or not with the people around us. And so if something were to happen to you today, tomorrow, are there people who you have to forgive? Are there people who you need to ask forgiveness from? And remember, forgiving someone doesn't mean that it was okay what they did. But in a sense, you are releasing yourself and them of the burden of the strife between you and saying, we can't change what happened. doesn't mean we have to be friends. But I am no longer holding this in a place in my heart of anger or resentment towards you. I may not ever understand why you did it. But I see that you have dignity, that you're a child of God, that you make mistakes, and I want to acknowledge that I'm no longer going to burden myself or you with this thought or feeling of unforgiveness. So are you leaving any of that behind? Forgiveness you need to receive, forgiveness you need to give. Are you going to leave behind a mess? Like, just the things going on in your life, like, are your affairs in order? Now, you may be of varying ages listening to this, but, like, you know, do you at least have, like, an advanced directive with your hospital or with your health insurance? Like, do they know what to do if you suddenly come in unconscious? Do they know who to call, what your wishes are, how you want to be buried? You know, like, you know, I, we go to Kaiser, and Kaiser has, like, just a, a standard document that you can fill out and has all the questions you need to, to answer. It has everything that they, they would typically ask so that you're not putting an undue burden on your family or your friends. And they know exactly what you would want. You know, if you're older, if you have young kids, if you're married, especially if you have kids, like, do you have a will? Do you have a, um, you know, any legally binding type of documentation sharing what you want done with your assets, how you want your family cared for, what you want to happen when you die? um, That includes your advance directive in it. Um, You know, if you want to set up some kind of trust or, you know, what you want to happen with your house or bank accounts, whatever, you know. Um, do you have somewhere for someone to be able to find or access if there's an emergency, a list of like all your accounts and passwords and codes and things like that, and keep it secure. And you know, there's apps that can do that. You can keep it in a safe somewhere, um, <clears throat> things like that. But are there things that would be so burdensome for your family, your friends, your spouse, you know, to deal with if something were to happen to you that you want to ease that? It's a practical thing that you can do. But I think the, the, the deeper uh, lesson here, the deeper reflection is, yes, we can prepare all we want, but there are certain things we're never going to be able to be prepared for because we just don't know when that's going to happen, when our last day is going to be. And so every interaction, every conversation, every moment, what if it were our last of that kind? What if this was my last podcast episode? What would I want you to know? I'd want you to know that... God loves you and has a plan for your life, but sin separated you from that plan and it broke us and our relationship with God, but Jesus came to die for you and he loves you so much. He wants to be in relationship with you. So if there's something separating you from that, some kind of inability for you to receive that forgiveness, this is your invitation, your challenge to come back home to him who loves you, who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself. And who will show you and reveal to you the plan and purpose for your life that is beyond anything that you have ever imagined for yourself. What will you leave behind? What will your legacy be? Will you leave behind a life of meaning? You know, I saw uh, there was like a comparison. Would you rather be, you know, have a million YouTube followers or, you know, a huge following during your lifetime? Or would you rather be remembered long after you died for the things that you've done? And like 68% of people answered that they wanted to be popular and known during their lifetime and that just kind of broke my heart a little bit because that was like this two-thirds of people who didn't really care about the legacy they left behind they wanted it now they wanted the popularity the attention the affirmation for themselves very self-seeking but really the christian disciple is always planting seeds is always thinking long term is always playing the long game that's what god does in scripture that's what god does in each of our lives and when we have a deathbed mentality, we're thinking long-term. We're thinking about that end moment. And we're thinking about, does this decision or does the thing, do the things I'm doing today have significance, have meaning? Do they align with my values? Do I, they align with who I desire to be in such a way that when I get to the end of my life, whenever that is, I can look back and say, yeah, that was a life well lived. I'm ready. I'm not burdened. I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. I'm not anxious. I'm at peace and I'm ready to go home because there are many people who've died that way. A lot of them became saints. And I think there's something there. There's some kind of pattern there. They knew that they did not need to be attached to the things of the world because the things of heaven, the things of eternal life with God are just so much more meaningful. And when we recognize like, oh my gosh, you guys like no more, no more emails, There'll be no more traffic, you know, there'll be no more, all these things that we worry and stress about, you know, no more conflict, no more political division, you know, all of this, it, it will all be reconciled in heaven. Don't you like, just want that? Like, don't you just want to be there right now? Like, it just like makes me want to cry. I like want to be there so much, but it's not time yet. There's more to do. There's more people who need to know the message of Jesus Christ. There's more people we need to be in heaven with us. And so we need to really be making sure that we are using our time to the fullest effect, to the fullest degree. We need to really make sure that we are valuing the time that we've been given and using it to invest in the things and people that matter the most. It doesn't mean we're not faithful to our responsibilities. Or we don't do the parts of our job that we don't like. But maybe that means when you show up to the office you get those little things done that you don't like first. So you have as much of your day as possible to invest in the things you're passionate about, not putting off things because you never know what's gonna come around later. You know, if you've gotten those little annoying things done first, then you have all the rest of the time to really invest in the thing you're passionate about. And if something comes up with family or friends, you can go. You don't have all these little deadlines to meet and all this little busy work to get done. You've already taken care of it. It just helps organize our mind, our schedule, our life behind that mentality, memento mori. Remember that you have to die. You have to die. At some point, it's going to happen for all of us. I've been thinking about that a lot, reflecting on people who are sick or suffering with different conditions. And, and obviously, I pray for them when asked and I want them to be healed. But I always think about, you know, am I or is this family or is this person even thinking about the fact that, like, if God does heal you, um, you're still going to die. You know, if God does heal you, you're still going to die. So if God heals you, there is a very specific miraculous purpose as to why he wants to do that. Some specific work that he wants to do through and within you. And I don't have just been reflecting on that, that like, do people realize that? Like, or is this, are we dealing with this kind of like almost um, Christian ignorance that like prayer will work to help extend uh, life to be the best possible life it can be and just keep going on in abundance and joy it's like no like life life a life of love is a life of sacrifice like there will be pain and suffering and sacrifice because that's there are things you're willing to endure for the people that you love but i think a real christian a christian a christian who understands what it means to have the life that we do and to um, bear that burden and responsibility I think to that Christian, it's more, it's less about continuing on and everything being good and joyful, but it's more about meaning, purpose, and being focused on the values that God has given us, the the laws that he's given us to follow, his teachings, and making sure that our life is a life of values that are informed by those teachings, that we live a life of virtue, that we live a life for others, that we live a life of meaning. And when we do that, Suddenly, we exude this joy and this peace to other people that is just, it's unexplainable. And it's so attractive to people because they don't see it anywhere else. It's not a common thing because so many people are living for the rat race. They're living just for the next 10 minutes, for the next dollar earned, for the next follower, whatever it might be. And the Christian who lives with this memento mori mindset is living on such a different plane for such a different idea or purpose that is so freeing, so beautifully detached from everything in the world that we can actually enter into the things of the world with joy and then treat them as, as if, okay, if this were my final experience, let's experience this joyfully and then I can let it go. And if God blesses me to be able to return to it, to return to this relationship, this person, this work, this, whatever it is, this ministry tomorrow and the next day, then praise God. That's beautiful. And if not, this is what I was called to do today. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. Is that a statement that you can say and believe wholeheartedly about your life right now? Because if it isn't, then maybe there's some priorities or perspective that needs to be prayed into, reflected upon so that you can really be considering what what carries the most meaning for you in your life and is your life aligned toward that. Is your life pursuing that thing? This could be, you know, a passion, a goal, but ultimately it all needs to point to Jesus Christ. I've just been reminded of this a lot in the past week because I just see a lot of people living in worldly ways, trying to hustle, trying to appear perfect or get the best, you know, or, you know, just keep chasing after things of the earth. And, And it's just, it's clearly not making them happy. In fact, it's making them miserable. And I think the more and more we can recognize like our complete happiness and fulfillment resides in God alone to, to the point where you could maybe even envision yourself as a hermit in the middle of nowhere with no possessions, no one living with you, but simply having communion with God. And that could be something that you could wholeheartedly look at and say, I am. I'm strong enough in my relationship with God and I know he loves me well enough to where I believe that I could be content and happy in that place. Doesn't mean God's going to call you to it, probably not. But if you can reach that moment, just that realization with kind of any ounce of authenticity, like any ounce of truth in that statement, then I think you've begun to arrive at this idea that I'm getting at, that memento mori, remembering our death, tries to remind us of day in and day out. There are certain things that are worth being anchored and attached to, and many others that are not. And yet, our life, typically, in the secular westernized, individualistic world we live in, is mostly consumed and obsessed with the things that ultimately don't matter. So, I pray that this could be a litmus test for your life right now. And if you were to die today, in this moment, or at the end of today, what were the things that would be left unsaid? What's the areas of your life that need to be reoriented? What are the people in your life you need to forgive or ask forgiveness from? What are you going to leave behind? What mess can you begin to clean up? How can you really consider the legacy you leave behind? And is it for others or are the things that you're doing, the way you're living your life, is it more self-seeking than serving? I pray that you will consider that and reflect on it. I pray that I will be able to do that. I challenge us all to, to live more faithfully. To God and all he's given us. And to remember that one day it will be, will be the day that we're on our deathbed. And so we hope that that day will not be one of stress and anxiety for us, but one of peace and recognition that we've done all that we can do. We've faithfully answered the call of God, the mission he's placed on our hearts, and that we're ready to go home. And every day between now and then will be days lived, making decisions that glorify God and that bring peace in that moment, that final moment. That is all I have for you. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.